0: generosity path podcast a space for global conversations with people from different walks of life about the impact generosity has had on them it's a place of inspiration encouragement and hopefully joy as we hear about the transforming power and potential of generosity to change the world
1: Welcome everybody to the Generosity Path podcast. Uh, We bring greetings to our friends all over the world and we're excited to be here with you again. Uh, I'm Jay Paul Freidenmaker and I'm here with our founder of Generosity Path, Daryl Heald. Daryl, how are you doing? Doing well. So great to be here. Looking forward to this next story. Yes, we are very much looking forward to it. And many of you listening to this will recognize these famous people who uh, <laughs> who show up in our Journey of Generosity retreats, Pete and Deb Oakes. And they are the ones you'll remember if you've seen the video where they have the business in the prison. Uh, Pete and Deb, it is great to have you guys with us today.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Jay Paul
2: and uh, Daryl, uh, you're an inspiration to us. It's, it's great to be here with you.
1: Thank you. Well, Pete and his wife, Debbie, um, have been instrumental in founding and growing several nonprofit enterprises as well as profit enterprises. Pete is the founder and chairman of Capital Three, an impact investment company with investments in the US and Central America. During his four decades in business, he's invested and operated in various companies, oftentimes focusing on places devoid of human flourishing, such as prisons and poverty-stricken countries. Um, They live in in Valley Center, Kansas, and have two children and eight grandchildren so uh, that's fun and I I have also been the beneficiary of mentoring from Pete Pete um, as part of his ministry these days he mentors young entrepreneurs in a high impact life and high impact business and so Pete I want to I want to thank you for that so why don't y'all start off just telling us a little bit about your family and your business
0: great uh, well we have news we have another grandchild. Um, number nine now and that makes
2: congratulations
0: yes that makes <clears throat> seven grandsons and two granddaughters <laughs> your girls and I said God has a sense of humor because I only had one son and I now have seven grandsons so <laughs> uh, and it that's great but anyway so we have uh, Austin and Danielle his wife and they have three boys and mm-hmm. um, Pete will tell you more about Austin and then uh, our daughter, Lauren, is the one that has the six children that just had the new one and a uh, little boy and uh, her husband, John. So okay. that's uh, our family. They all live within 15, 20 minutes of us. So we get to see them often and we love that. So we're very thankful.
2: And business wise, Jay paul we, uh, as you mentioned, we run a social impact uh, investment company, as it were. And so we have uh, a number of entities in that. We have a company called Electrics. We uh, manufacture electrical assemblies and uh, um, control panels, those kinds of things, uh, for the off-road industry primarily. And we have another company called Seat King, which uh, in, uh, manufactures industrial seating. And then we have a third company uh, that's actually offshore. That's in um, Honduras. We're building run of river hydroelectric power plant. So we go up into the mountains of Honduras. We wear off the water, running alongside the uh, a mountain for a bit of time and then turn it downhill. And at the bottom of that uh, is a, a turbine and generator. And we spin the turbine, generator, create electricity and dump the water back in the, in the river. So today we employ about 800 uh, folks in three different countries, uh, 200 of those are actually in a maximum security prison mm-hmm. in Hutchinson, Kansas. Then we employ about, um, 700 folks in Zacatecas, Mexico. We have about hundred folks that are civilians in the U S and then we have, um, approximately 25 or 30 folks at work for us in Honduras. Our company's called capital three. We've, um, I would say, um, I'm pushing 70 and at the age of 40, I really came to the realization that, um, uh, I wasn't an owner, but I was a steward, and I began to really change the way I viewed life. And so uh, over the last 30 years, we've really worked to to make our businesses, uh, as we would say, um, the purpose of business is not to maximize shareholder value, uh, but it's to really be a catalyst for flourishing, as it mm. were, and believe to flourish, you need um, Food, clothing, shelter—you need some material provision. You need deep, authentic relationships, and you and you need a purpose for living, which is really our Christian faith. So yeah. we really try to do that. Uh, use a, uh, we we really use that platform of our business to try to create flourishing and ultimately have an
1: impact for Christ. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I think it'd be interesting, Pete, as you said. You know, this has been a 30-year run. Just like what. What did it look like at the beginning? What does it look like when you're because because typically before that I think you were probably v- very similar to a lot of either you know private equity type groups of you know maximizing maximizing you know shareholder return and 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 income and things like that. How did the what what was this whole um, you know flip to the whole flourishing piece and and is it is it profitable and you know what are the you know is is it worth doing? Yes.
2: Uh, right before the age of forty, I w- I realized that we had uh, I'd become financially successful, but I wasn't very satisfied, and mm-hmm. I began to say what is going on here. About that same time, one of the companies we had acquired um, it was a bank, and uh, we had purchased a bank that was in trouble, and uh, unfortunately, when we bought that bank, we bought a bunch of trouble with it, and hmm. That bank just about took us down. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, I think I really came to understand I'm working feverishly to to make money. And what am I really doing it for? And at that point in time, the the ownership stewardship concept clicked in my mind. Uh, I came to understand that I didn't own it. I was just the steward. And when that happened, it was just a monumental change for me at the age of Mm -hmm. 40 it gave me a reason for being in business mm. that was very powerful. And, um, and then that along with this whole concept of, uh, you know, my Christian faith and that, um, that we didn't need to bifurcate work and our spiritual lives, but they're really one in the same. And, and all of a sudden I could see how those things were one and not two. Yeah, that it's, it's been a great journey.
1: Um Deb, I'll I'll start with you on this next question, and and Pete, you may have something to add to it. But when you think about kind of passing on, a, you know, a gene of generosity to your your family, uh, particularly all those those grandchildren and your own kids, um, talk a little bit about that. How have you and Pete endeavored to pass along that that generosity gene?
0: Yes, uh, I would say that. From the beginning, we we say we were raised in generous homes. We had great examples. So I think that was uh, for us to be a good example of that at the beginning and and, um, modeling uh, by example. But as we attended more uh, generosity events and learned um, some, let's say, tools to uh, encourage generosity with our family, uh, we began to... um, have uh, family meetings, for example, mm-hmm. and we would uh, every Thanksgiving come together for a family meeting. Pete would give us state of the family address and tell us uh, <laughs> where we were. And he was very open with the kids where we were uh, in in our businesses and financially, and then but then it went we're straight to the giving uh, side of it. Pete would explain to them, you know, we had different levels of giving in the our top level, uh, obviously we wanted to be more involved than just writing a check. We wanted to yeah. give our time and our talent. And so, uh, then we began to give them money, uh, junior high, high school, college, I would say, get, give them money to give away every year. Mm-hmm. And they, um, uh, without any help from us, they had to come up with their own plan, uh, as the Holy Spirit would lead them and, and then, um, come back and, uh, report at the family meeting. Then we would hear these uh, ministry reports, and give, they would give us an update on, on the ministries that they gave to, or individuals, or all, all the reasons and and why and and the results of that. Because we wanted them to learn to read those ministry letters and follow up on um, the giving that they did. Yeah. And so that that was a big part of. I I think we began to see they were they were catching it. They were getting it. that yeah. The idea of generosity, and then. Now, in their own families, uh, it's been fun to watch, um, to see how God is using them uh, Mm -hmm. in generosity. And then at times, we've partnered with them on um, uh, something that they're passionate about.
2: And it's been fun because my son joined me 13 or 14 years ago. He uh, graduated college, and I really told him he needed to go work for someone else for a while to figure out what the real world is really like, which he did. And then uh, he still decided he wanted to come back and and work with me. So he did that uh, 13, 14 years ago. Uh, Two or three years ago, he transitioned to um, I moved out of the CEO role. He moved into the CEO role. I moved to the chairman role. The fun thing is to see Austin has the same uh, passion for seeing that we really create uh, that our business really is a catalyst for flourishing that Mm -hmm. we make um, economic, social, and spiritual uh, advancements and create economic, social, and spiritual wealth within our, uh, our team member ranks. So uh, one of the things Austin does is really, really good. Uh, We have a lot of fun as a senior leadership team and he's really put together a great team and, and, they like to really enjoy each other. So one of the outings, in fact, it actually happened last week. Uh, we went on a hunting trip here in Kansas. And Kansas, we're known for pheasant hunting. And so we have great pheasant hunting. And a lot of the guys that never held a gun or never hunted a pheasant. And so you can imagine this was a bit uh, daunting for some of them. So a few days before we went hunting, we all met out. at We live on a farm, and we have a skeet throwing machine. And so... Uh, Austin got them all together. And when they were all there, he broke out these bags of stuff for the (laughs) guy. And they included uh, a really nice hunting vest, you know, with the orange on it. Uh, It had a really nice cap. He had the ear protection, uh, really nice fancy gloves, really nice shooting glasses. And, And it's interesting because I'm looking at that And being the founder tightwad that I am, I'm saying (laughs) she's getting a lot of money on that. (laughs) I'm I'm literally, literally thinking this. And then I looked at the, I looked at the joy and just fun. These guys were just enamored with this stuff, you know? That's awesome.
1: So I know that A lot of people listening to this interview have seen the video and have seen you guys sharing about uh, Seat King and the business inside the Maximum Security Prison. Um, Share with us what have been some of the hardest things and maybe some of the most rewarding things about working with those people and and ministering with that group. Right.
2: Uh, Jay Paul, I... You know, I would say it is probably when you meet an inmate, you are immediately struck by the hardness of their heart. Mm -hmm. Before, uh, Before they went into prison, they were tough, tough guys. Okay, when they get in prison, prison doesn't help that. It only exacerbates the problem. Right. Okay, And so their hearts to survive in prison, you just have to be hard hearted. So they come to you. They come to us and we work them. So we have a business that literally has the plant inside the walls of a maximum security prison. So these are guys that have some of them life sentences. A lot Mm -hmm. of them are there for 10, 15, 20 years. They've done really horrible things. Mm -hmm. So they come into the plant that we have built inside of the prison and workforce. So when they it was in, it's been interesting to see the transition over the last uh, 14 years. We started this process in 2006, okay? And it was just a tough go. And if I'm probably really candid with you, the primary reason we went to the prison was we didn't have enough people to work an entry-level manufacturing jobs. Okay. And so we went in there almost from a little bit of a selfish perspective. But I will tell you that very quickly, uh i figured out those guys weren't very much weren't much different than myself okay yeah. and at the same time we were moving in there we were also really getting in in a in, we were really coming to grips with our own purpose for being in business so i think there was this confluence of seeing these really hard-hearted people and then god softening our heart to say business should be run differently and it was the perfect storm and the first few years were really difficult. And I remember at one point in time, we were trying to figure out how to crack this nut of this hard heart. And I, I told our team, you know, we, we need a big vision for these guys. I think what they're lacking is a vision for where, where they could really wind up in life. Yeah. So I stood, uh, I remember remember this like it was yesterday. I stood before about 30 guys, was which was our total employee count back then. This was probably in 2007 or 2008. And I said, guys, I want... I want this to be the best prison in the United States of America. <laughs> and they literally laughed at me, you know, the best prison. That's kind of an oxymoron. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, um, but as we began to work through things and show them that we really cared, we broke them down and there, uh, It's interesting to me, the way the reason I think we've had impact is we, once again, we believe in economic, social, and spiritual capital. The the parable of the Good Samaritan, I really love that parable because, as you remember, uh, the guy had been beaten up and left beside the road to die. And it says the priest and the Levite, the spiritual guys, came along and they literally walked around him. In my mind, I think they were thinking, if that guy would just come to Jesus, everything would be fine. Yeah. But then you had the Good Samaritan that came along. And what did he do? He picked him up. He didn't he did he didn't give him any spiritual encouragement right away, but he took care of his physical needs first. And I think the reason we have the today, the impact we have is we lead with economic capital. We we give them a job. In fact, I would say the most generous act I am almost convinced that I think the most generous thing I can do in life is give someone a job. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So if you're an, an inmate in a normal prison, you they want you to work and you're working for the state, you're picking up trash, you're working in the laundry or whatever you're you're going to make one dollar a day maximum, okay mm. The folks that we employ will make a minimum of eight or nine dollars. We have some men making twenty six dollars an hour for us, okay so we pay them a living fair wage. In fact, we don't even set the the wage. The state of Kansas based on what they are doing and the technical capability that they possess, we pay them according to what the fair uh, wages would be. Mm. So That is really a big thing. So when you give them Mm. that job, they earn money, they earn self-respect, they have dignity it's just amazing, and then you follow that with what we call social capital, which is really loving them like we love ourselves. We we treat them with deep respect. Guess what happens to the doors of spiritual capital? They fly open. Yeah, you've yeah. shared some
1: of the stories of what's what's happened with with some of the relationships that have in started in prison, and now are uh, some of these guys have been released. Could you share with us maybe one or two that have been really impactful and fun?
2: I will tell you, Louie had a life sentence. There was no chance of parole. He bought into our vision. He bought into becoming the, uh, back to the vision of having the best prison in the U.S. We said, the way we will have the best prison is we are pledged to you is that we will help you become the best inmate you can become. Louis bought into that, wrote a 40-page manual on how to be the best inmate. Yes, <laughs> him a right to have a parole hearing, uh, which I went to and spoke at. He was denied the first time. Three years later, he was approved. He is now out. He's been out three years. He has his own business. Uh, he's a phenomenal artist. He's got his own uh, business, which is a tattoo shop called Redemption Inc. Uh, <laughs> he specializes in taking bad gang tattoos and turning them into works of beauty. And they wow. really, it's amazing. Amazing.
0: And, it is amazing.
2: Uh, I think Louie wouldn't mind me sharing this, but he'll make over a quarter million dollars this year. Wow. Wow.
0: When you go through that prison um, now with the workers, uh, when we take tours and take people, I'll join Pete when we have a, a group. And, and you have to stop at each person because they want to say thank you. They're wow. so full of gratitude for their job. And it, it's it, it's so beautiful. It's amazing. Uh,
2: of course, one of the things, one of our uh, virtues is generosity that we share with all of our employees and we do a matching program. And for a few years, we didn't uh, open that up to the inmates because I was fearful that it would apply pressure that I didn't want, that it would be an expectation and they would give for me instead of for themselves. Yeah. But uh, a few years ago, we opened that up. I will tell you that our inmate population outgives our civilian population by a a factor of several times. Wow. Wow. These men are so appreciative. They Mm. had had nothing. Okay. And now that they have something, they are so grateful and they want to give back.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, he
2: who has been forgiven much loves much. Yes.
0: Yes.
1: Absolutely. Talk to us a little bit about your all's process. How do you kind of make decisions? How do you find things? How do you know? Um, just just pull back the curtain a little bit on how you all do it.
0: Yes. Well, for, for us over the years, we have really um, looked at our passions and what Christ has put on our heart obviously my nature is I want to give to everything out there, you know, they need help over here, you know, but it'll say, no, let's, let's go back to our focus, you know, what are our priorities and what, um, and, and so that we could make a, um, maybe a larger impact, uh, Mm -hmm. and be more involved than just writing a check to a lot of different places. So, um, that's kind of helped our focus. Would you say?
2: Let me just tell the audience, uh, I've not, I'm not being paid for this plug. (laughs) but uh the things we've learned le- with the things we've learned at generous giving and generosity path mm-hmm. are amazing
0: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. uh you know I, they they say that there's nothing new in the world anything deb and i do we've not come up with it on our own we and we learn most of that at either the conferences or jogs and so mm-hmm. i would just really encourage your listeners yeah. if you're if you're thinking about that because it has changed our lives okay and uh, just in such a good way, it's um, really, it's been really powerful.
0: And I wanted to point out that, you know, this last year with um, business and everything, giving looks different from your year. Mm. Some years are um, better than others, obviously. And so, you know, we've had to be more creative. Yeah, I think in our giving and also um, giving of time, talent, treasure. I mean, right now we haven't been going anywhere, so right. you know we can't give the time that we were able to give before uh, to certain things, and um, except by Zoom. But other than that, uh, so so some years are different, and I think we have to be open to how the how the Lord would use us in different ways, uh, depending on yeah. the circumstances. Yeah.
2: Our three buckets are a spontaneous bucket, an encouragement bucket, and an investment bucket. Okay. Okay. So the spontaneous bucket, which Deb's really in charge of because she likes to give it to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's just a bucket out there. And just, you know, if a Boy Scout comes to the front door or you see somebody in need, you just, you know, the only thing we invest in that is money. We just give money away. yeah. The second bucket is the encouragement bucket, and it's really a larger gift. And we we primarily give that to people we know and love and support. And so we spend uh, time and treasure mm-hmm. in that bucket. Okay. Yeah. The last bucket is really the investment bucket, and it's even a larger bucket, and there's only a handful of those we give to. Okay. We narrowed that down. That's one of the things we we've really learned at generous giving. And so we give time, talent, and treasure in that bucket.
1: Okay, okay, mm. awesome. Mm. Pete, you have written a book. Congratulations. Tell us Tell us a little bit about your book and and what your hope is for that.
2: So if any of you are thinking about writing a book, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm being facetious. It was a very difficult thing. Essentially, what I've tried to do is take uh, the things I've learned over the last... 20 years and put them into a book. It's called High Impact Life. i really come down to believing that there are four very concrete principles that if we live by these four principles, they answer most every question in life. In fact, I would tell you that they would answer every question in life. And those four principles are this, honor God, serve people, pursue excellence, steward the resources God's given you. Uh, those take care of the principles the people the processes and the profit of the property that all of us uh, fiddle with on a on a daily basis and so the book basically unwinds uh, our approach that if you live by those four principles you will have a high impact life and it's um, um, it's maybe a, the title of the book is maybe a, a bit of a bit and uh, uh, you know a, a switch and bait <laughs> because you, uh, we typically the world, the world is calling us to pride, pleasure, and possessions. The world is calling us to success, but I think God's calling us to surrender, and that is uh, um, a very difficult thing for us to get our arms around. But yeah. if we can do that, it becomes so freeing. The end result of doing those four things is generosity
1: yeah
0: mm.
1: we will we will put a link in our show notes uh, to show people where they can get a copy of High Impact Life and I would highly recommend it. this this has been a delight. I want to say to our friends all over the world. Uh, we love you, we miss you and we pray God's blessings. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the generosity path podcast pay it forward by rating sharing and subscribing to find out more about connecting your own passions and purpose with your giving visit generositypath.org or engage in the conversation by following us on social media let's make the world a better place